Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Haggai. We're going to talk today about priorities because this uh, story starts off with uh, questioning our priorities, the nation of Israel's priorities. But the title of the message is From Exile to Exaltation because God doesn't leave us there. He doesn't want us to remain um, stuck in a place that's not pleasing to him. Now, before I jump in, I want to just mention, tell, tell you a little story here. There was a 20th century missionary named Lillian Dixon. She was a missionary to Taiwan, and it, she's quoted as saying, Life is like a coin. You can spend it any way you wish, but you can only spend it once. Someone expanded on that quote by saying, Each day we get a coin. It's dispensed from a large container one at a time, and we never know how many are left. So each day we take that coin and we exchange it for something. It could be work, could be family, could be pleasure, could be entertainment. It could be the things of God. But once it's gone, you can't get it back. And when all the coins run out, your life is over. Now, of course, the coin that we're talking about doesn't represent money, But it represents our heart. It represents our passion in this life. What we spend each day's passion on determines and reveals what our priorities are. It determines our priorities because it takes from us our time, our talents and abilities. It takes our treasures. And we willingly allow that. But it also reveals our priorities Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, this treasure is representative of our heart, our passion. What are we treasuring in this life? Are we treasuring the things of the world or are we putting God first? Our passion can be defined as that thing that we put our time and effort into most. I mentioned in um, one of the Coffee with Jesus messages this week that I kind of dreaded the opening up of the parks and the golf courses. It's like now we have more competition for the time and the attention of believers. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but it can also be true that as we start to open back up, that uh, people's attentions will be drawn away from the things of God instead of more passionate towards God. The prophet Haggai was living in, during, and after the captivity of the Jews in, uh, in Babylon in, from 605 to 587 B.C. He writes this book sometime after the return 
of the Jewish people. Remember, they were allowed to go back and rebuild the temple. And I think that there's a parallel here to this remnant of Jews who returned to Israel after 70 years of exile and to us today. Now, I wouldn't want to insult the captives uh, in Babylon if I made a direct comparison. It would probably be insulting to them. But, you know, as we're kind of in our captivity, we're stuck in our homes, but we have all our toys and entertainment and bells and whistles at our disposal. Um, But we can make a parallel to get some spiritual insight into where our hearts are. God's people suffered under the Babylonian captivity and their basic way of life was taken away from them. Their livelihoods were taken. Their social structure was taken. Their ability to freely worship was taken. Their identity as God's people was stripped from them as they conformed to their new taskmasters in Babylon. And I think we can relate in some way, in some small way, to all the things that were taken from the children of Israel. Some of you might have similar feelings because of this pandemic. Life as we know it has been kind of taken from us. But now as we come out of it, we want to make sure that we take the lessons from this trial and apply them and learn them, learn from them. Unfortunately, as we'll see here when we go through this chapter in Haggai, the Jewish remnant who returned to build the temple did not immediately learn the lessons from their captivity. Yes, they eagerly returned to rebuild the temple, and the start was really, really good. They began really well. But soon they became discouraged with the work. Sixteen years passed since their return to the land, and the temple still wasn't completed. Now, you got to remember that the temple in that time was the place that they would gather to worship the Lord, that they would gather to fellowship. It was kind of the center of life for the Jew. But their personal affairs got in the way of God's work. Instead of being focused on God, they began to turn their attention to their own needs and desires. Haggai tries to get the people to understand that their circumstances would only become more difficult if they put their own selfish interests before God's. And isn't it the same for us? How many of us have been longing, waiting for the time where we could reopen the church and gather together with our brothers and sisters? And I know the Lord has shown me quite a lot of things through this time of separation, how important it is for us to establish good habits and routines. I've mentioned that a few times. Many have told us that actually their Bible reading has been uh, more enhanced, that they read more, they pray more, that they think of others more during this time. And they're more thankful for what they have. And that's awesome. I think that's what sometimes these trials are supposed to get us to do. Rethink. But it's also easy to fall into bad habits. Like, I don't know how we're going to get you to take your pajamas off, put on clothes, and actually get to the church. You're so comfortable. We're going to have to serve coffee and pancakes. But you see how easy it is for us to fall into kind of bad habits or bad routines too. So we need to be very careful 
that um, we learn the lessons from this trial that we're going through. You know, we can become so easily focused on our own comfort, can't we? And forget about the Lord. We may start off strong, you know, as we come back to resume our normal lives. We may be really eager to get to the work of the Lord, but soon we may come up with excuses for not continuing in that work. And that's what happened to the to the uh, children of Israel here. And so we're going to jump in in the first two verses of Haggai chapter 1. And it says, In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came, to, came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says... The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So the Lord is speaking through the prophet, but the Lord is also saying, this is what you people are telling me. This is what you people are saying, that the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Well, how did this happen? They were so eager to go back and rebuild the temple that was in a shambles. And they did begin the work, and they began it really well. So how did they get to this place? Haggai is told by God to give a message to the people that they had their priorities wrong. But notice their excuse for stopping the work. They actually made it sound spiritual. You know, we sang today about thy will be done. They were basically saying that God's will right now is that the temple not be rebuilt. They were making it sound like they were tapped into God's thoughts on this. They said, it's not God's timing. How many times might we say, because we delay in our obedience to the Lord, that it's, it's just not God's timing right now. It's not God's timing. Sometimes we can justify our own disobedience with spiritually sounding excuses. Spurgeon said once, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. He goes on to continue and say that every time we put off those things that we know that we're supposed to do for the Lord, it's another sin of disobedience against the Lord. And remember, these, were, these people were the remnant that were taken into captivity that wanted to come back, that were eager to come back. These were the ones who were really committed to the Lord. So even though we may be committed Christians and believers, from time to time, we can get distracted. We can start to put other things before the Lord. And sometimes it comes in the midst of a trial, like happened here. They had a lot of opposition to the rebuilding of the temple, so much so that they kind of rationalized that if God wanted it done, then he would remove all the obstacles. But we know that sometimes that's not true. Sometimes God wants us to work through the difficulties to accomplish his will. That he may be, that he may receive all the glory. You know, I understand this time has been difficult for everyone. Everyone in some way is affected, whether it's physical, emotional, um, spiritual, financial. There's a lot of effects that this Uh, trial that we're going through has had on people. But I've said many times throughout this that I don't want to look back personally. I don't want to look back at this time with regret. 
And as we begin to emerge from this trial, I don't want to miss out on something that the Lord wants to do in me and through me to others. Many people that we've spoken to in the last several weeks may have expressed a desire to maybe find a church, seek the Lord, maybe get back to you know, uh, something that they had in the past that they don't have any longer. Maybe you've been able to encourage friends or family during this time because you do have a relationship with God. You do have a testimony of faith that you can bring to your friends and encourage them and comfort them during this time. As Christians, we need to be ready to ask the Lord what he wants us to do for his kingdom. But again, the culture can influence us, can't it? Away from God's work and cause us to focus on our own things. The Jews were taken out of their homeland and brought to a pagan nation where they were influenced by the culture. They began to get their priorities mixed up and they became more like the culture instead of being set apart from the culture. And then when they went back to start the work, those things kind of cropped up again. As Christians, we need to buck the trends of society, don't we? We need to stand out for Jesus. Haggai's calling here was to convince them to go back to putting God first. Get your priorities straight because they lost their way. In Ezra chapter 3, this is kind of a parallel um, scripture here that tells about the beginning of the building of the temple. And look how, look how awesome it was when they first went back. It says in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the ordinance of King David, uh, David king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. How awesome. They were, they were really excited. They had an awesome worship service and they were really, really excited about rebuilding the temple. You know, you can imagine the scene after 70 years of captivity away from their homeland, away from their religious traditions, they returned and they jumped right in eager to kind of reestablish their lives, to kind of get back to their normal way of life. And, you know, as we begin to emerge from this, again, quote unquote, captivity, you know, we find, we find ourselves isolated a lot, Right. We find ourselves alone a lot, but now we're starting to come out of that. We may be initially eager to get back to the work of the Lord, as I've seen on some of your faces. And you're eager to get back to what the Lord wants you to do. But we need to be very careful that we don't let that excitement fade over time. For the Jews, the work was hard. There was opposition from many places, and it took longer than expected. So they became apathetic. They became discouraged, and the work stopped. As a matter of fact, it stopped for 14 years. They worked on the 
temple for two years, very enthusiastically, very eagerly, and then discouragement started to set in. And they stopped that work for 14 years. But what did they do during those 14 years? Well, they, they set their sights on something else. They became preoccupied with building their own houses. And they neglected the things of the Lord. In Haggai 1 verses 3 and 5, it goes on and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. They just got caught up in the day-to-day stuff. Just like we can sometimes. Put other things before the Lord. Could be working, could be raising your families, could be enjoying leisure time, could be renovating our homes. It all sounds very familiar, I know. We can become distracted by our own desires and neglect the things of God. How many times have we put off doing the Lord's work in favor of our own? Verse 5 is a warning. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. This isn't just a rebuke for the lack of the work being done on the temple. No. This was, this was a lesson in priorities. This wasn't about their physical labor and getting, the, and getting the temple rebuilt. This was about where their hearts were. What can we learn from their experience? Many times in the Bible, believers are compared to soldiers, right, in the battle. And God is our general. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he might please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Our aim should be to please the one who has called us into service, and not to become entangled with worldly pursuits. See, the people back then had left the work on the temple and began remodeling their own homes. Aren't we prone to put our own needs sometimes before what God wants and desires for for our lives? And to be perfectly honest, it might actually be our default position as, as fallen human beings to be more conscious of our own needs, our own desires, as opposed to God's. Unless we make a conscious effort to put the things of God first, we will naturally tend to live for our own agendas. And even for those of us who have made a commitment to Christ, right? At the beginning, I remember, you know, I was so zealous for the things of God, actually obnoxious sometimes for the things of God and spiritual things. And I wanted to dig into the Bible, you know, all the time and wanted to go to every class and every service that I could, I could go to. And, you know, those things kind of fade maybe over time. That enthusiasm might tend to fade, that eagerness to jump into the things of God. Or maybe we just don't see progress. We don't see growth. We don't sense the Lord working 
in our lives. We don't understand his plan for us. We may become impatient. But the other things in our life continue, right? Work, family, entertainment, leisure, they all continue, and the things of God kind of get put on the back burner. The Lord here is saying, warning us, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Again, this lesson is not as much about the temple lying in ruins as it is about allowing the Lord's work to suffer while we're concerned for our own comfort. The Hebrew phrase, consider your ways, literally means establish your path. The Lord was telling them, choose which road you want to follow in life, your own own path or God's path. What direction are you headed, basically? That's what consider your ways is telling us. He's saying, be careful, be careful, and think about the path that you want to be on. Proverbs 16.9 tells us that a man's heart plans his way, but God directs, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord directs his steps. Are you seeking the Lord for that direction? Back to Haggai chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it says, You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but do not have enough. You drink but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So in case you didn't hear the first time, he says it again. Consider your ways. These verses tell us that because we may put God second in our lives, even the things that we put our focus and our attention on will not be fruitful. David Guzik says in his commentary about this chapter, sometimes our priorities are out of order and we seem to suffer no hardship. In such times, we should never presume on the mercy of God. We should turn to him and reorder our priorities before he needs to use a crisis to get, us through, to, get through to us. Now, I'm not saying that God caused this crisis But sometimes God can use, well, all the time, God can use these things to teach us lessons. Sometimes he allows difficult circumstances in order to get us, get our attention, right? And he always gives us a way out, the Bible says. He always gives us a way to follow his his ways, a way to get out of our self-centered life. And in verses 8 and 9, he tells us here how to do that. He says, he says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may be, take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. When you brought it home, it blew away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and build a temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. Verse 8 here is God giving them a way out, giving us a way out, giving us direction to reprioritize our lives. He's saying, pour yourselves into kingdom activities. Things that glorify me. 
Worship me. Be obedient to me. And I will be glorified through that. Our work for the Lord has a twofold effect. It's mentioned in these verses. First, the most important thing is he's glorified. When we have our minds set on heavenly things instead of our own pursuits, he takes pleasure in that. And secondly, we are blessed. Why? Well, not because we receive anything maybe uh, substantial, financial, or any other way, but because we're in his will. We're right where he wants us to be. When he's taking pleasure in where we're at, where we put our priorities in this life, we're blessed because of it. The people in Haggai's time had a very difficult life back in Judah. They were the most committed believers and they really wanted to get back to godly things. But because they had put their, their own desires before God's, he brought drought to the land. And no matter what they did, it seemed like they were, there was more month left at the end of their paychecks. They just couldn't get ahead. Because they were putting their own needs first. Verse 9 says, you looked for much, but it indeed came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. In other words, it didn't last. Why? Because you put your priorities before mine, your, your needs, your desires before mine. Sometimes God will cause those things that we make priorities in our life to be unfulfilling to us so that eventually we'll understand that it's he's the one that brings us ultimate pleasure. Yesterday, the guys studied the Beatitudes. It was an awesome um, Bible study. And we saw through those Beatitudes that God desires to bless us. God desires to give us true happiness and joy. But it's not in the things of the world. Everything that we went through yesterday was, was when we focus on him. It was godly things, not worldly things. And God realizes that putting his things before our own is difficult. I think that's why he says in this chapter twice, consider your ways. We have to really think about it, don't we? We have to re rethink the way we look at everything. He's asking us here to reflect on whether we're giving enough attention and thought to putting him first or are we just too caught up in our own life. And that's my fear, that as we get back, you know, eagerly coming back to a new normal, that we'll forget about the things of God. And my prayer is that we don't. In verses 10 and 11, Back in Haggai 1, it says, Therefore the heavens above you withhold, withheld the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit, for I called it for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the Lord brings, brings forth, on men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. As all of humanity now suffers with this uh, COVID-19 outbreak and all of the... Uh, repercussions of that God is still working God is still drawing men unto himself but sometimes man is stubborn right as the Jewish nation here suffered through drought and, sh and a shortage of the necessities of life 
It's like going into the supermarket and seeing empty shelves, right? And now they're talking about maybe um, the meat may be delayed, the whole, um, you know, all of the things that we just take for granted are no longer at our disposal. So God can sometimes use these things to kind of get us to reevaluate our lives. But we need to get it as Christians. We need to get, start to get to understand these things. We need to start to, the light bulb needs to go off in our minds on this. And maybe it's through, um, you know, teachings. Maybe it's through our, our own personal Bible study or prayer with the Lord. But that, that message has to get through. And it got through to the children of Israel. It did. In verses, verse 12, it tells us here. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the rem- with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the presence of the Lord. So, listen, when we're going through difficult times like we are now, like they did back then, they had, they had nothing. Everything was stripped away. And then... Even when they got back to the work, they started to shift their priorities. And God caused them to refocus. And we can do the same thing. We can get back to the Lord's priorities. I see, I see a couple of things in the people's response. First, the leaders recognize their responsibility to God and to, his pe- and to the people. And as leaders, we're not immune. We need to refocus our lives sometimes too. And we need to hear from the Lord from time to time. We're not exempt from this. Second is they heard God's, God's messenger. And that messenger may be, like I said, through your private prayer time, through your time in reading the Bible, through messages that you might be listening to, a teaching, a devotional. The word of God never returns void, the Bible says. It's going to accomplish something in your, in your life. The next thing we see is that they, they obeyed. They obeyed. There was an action on their part to obey the Lord. They realized that the Lord was trying to get their attention, that he was trying to get them to reprioritize their lives and put him first. And so they turned and they obeyed. You know, it's like God's grace. It's God's grace. It's like a do-over for us when God tries to get our attention and then we understand and we turn and we start to obey. We need to be grateful for that. And then they feared the Lord. They just had this awesome, reverential fear of God that knows that he, he knows all. He's above all of your circumstances. And um, when he wants to get your attention, to give him your attention. And then we see this beautiful ending to this where the people really did repent. The people really did. It shows God's grace in getting their attention, but it also shows their hearts in turning back to the Lord. In verses 13 through 15, it says, Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke to the, Lord, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, 
on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Now for me, the most awesome part of these verses, these last few verses, is that the Lord says, I am with you. The Lord says, I am with you. What encouragement for them. What encouragement for us that even when we tend to stray sometimes off course and he gets our attention, when we come back, he says, I've never left you. I was there the whole time. Yes, you went through some difficult times. Yes, you went through some times of leanness when you didn't know where your next meal was coming from. But I was with you that whole time. I was drawing you back with my love, with my grace. It's been said many times during this whole pandemic that just to know God is with us is all we need. Many people have told me that. Many people have said the encouragement of God's presence, of God's word, gets me through, helps me persevere. But I believe that God wants us to do more than persevere. I believe that he wants us to make a difference in people's lives. You know, I was beginning to read this book by David Platt. It's called Something Needs to Change. And it's, an, it's a call of urgency to the church. And I just want to read a short passage here. Toward the end of the book, it says, God has created your life to count in a world of urgent need. So don't underestimate the part God is calling you to play, starting right where you live. Realize that God has you where you are for a reason. You are not in your city or community by accident. You are in your job, your school, your neighborhood, or your apartment complex with the gifts, skills, abilities, and resources you possess by, desi- by divine design. God has sovereignly given you unique opportunities for the spread of gospel hope in the world around you. Now, he took a journey to the Himalayas and saw abject poverty, need, uh, um, sexual uh, sin. Um, He saw spiritual need among the people. He saw a need that was unbelievable where he went. But we see need all around us, don't we? Don't we see it right now as we look out or we go out amongst the community? Don't we see people maybe in fear, people struggling? Don't we see need all around us? He's telling us here to make our lives count in a world of urgent need. And we can do that right now because of what God is showing us through this time. As believers, we need to be looking at this present struggle as kind of a wake-up call to get our priorities in order, to look around us and see the needs of the people around us and see where God wants us to get involved to get our lives in line with his will. We need to be changed 
We need to really be changed by this experience for the good and for God's glory. But God is also speaking to those who don't know him. And there may be some watching or listening today who don't know the Lord. Maybe you're questioning um, this whole situation that we find ourselves in. Maybe someone invited you to watch or to listen. But he has a plan and a purpose for your life too. So the question for all of us is, are we going to put our needs first as we come out of this? Or are we going to reprioritize our lives so that God is first in everything that we do? Basically, the exhortation is to everyone to consider our ways. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfield's by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.